For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm super excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by my good friend, Joe Polizzi, and we're going to talk about what it takes to build a content-driven business, and you are absolutely going to love this episode because you're going to get insight into how I built my business, how Joe built the Content Marketing Institute, how Brian Clark built Copy Blogger Media. We all built content-driven businesses. And if you want to figure out how to leverage this content to stand out in a super noisy world, this is the episode for you. Before we get to that episode, I've got a brand new discovery that I'd love to share with you. After mediating a crocodile family dispute, look at what Michael Stelzner discovered. You know, I discovered this really killer new app from Evernote, and it's called Scannable from Evernote. And it's spelled C-A, I'm sorry, S-C-A-N-N-A-L. Ugh. S-C-A-N-N-A-B-L-E, if I could only spell, scannable. So here's the deal with this app. Right now, it's only available on the iOS device, which is basically iPhones, and I apologize for all your Android users out there. But what is so killer about this thing is you literally pull up this device, I mean, this app on your smartphone, and you just simply hover the camera over anything, like a piece of paper, or a business card, and without doing anything, it automatically scans and crops whatever it is and whatever angle you're at, and it squares it out and makes it look beautiful. Now, obviously, what do you do with that? Well, you know, if you don't have a scanner and you need to take a picture of something and you want it to look nice, this is an easy way to do it, but they take it a little bit further. If you have a business card, let's say that you're in an event and you took home a bunch of business cards. This is where the magic comes in. You open Scannable, you hold it over a business card, and like magic, it scans the business card without pushing any buttons at all, and then it says, hey, would you like to go ahead and add this person as a contact? And if you've gone ahead and you've linked up your Evernote account and LinkedIn, it will literally pull in all this data, create a contact for you inside of you know your contacts thing, and also go out to LinkedIn and pull in any data. And I think that is so, so cool. So, I mean, I mean, it makes it really literally effortless. So I could even see a way that you could use this when you're at, when you're at a trade show. If somebody has Scannable and they're out of business cards, we'll say, just can you do me a favor and hold up your last business card? Take a picture of it. Boom, it scans it and literally puts it all into your contacts. Now, I'm sure that Evernote is going to figure out lots of other interesting applications for this thing. But I love it. It's free. It's called Scannable. And check it out. 
Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Now let's transition over to today's interview with Joe Polizzi. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by my friend Joe Polizzi. If you don't know who Joe is, he's the founder of the Content Marketing Institute. He's author of the book Epic Content Marketing, and he also founded Content Marketing World, the leading physical conference for content marketers. Now, Joe has done a lot more But he's got a brand new book out called Content Inc., how entrepreneurs use content to build massive audiences and create radically successful businesses. Joe, welcome to the show. Michael, it is always a pleasure being on your show. I think this is maybe number three. It is. Yeah, I was looking back at that. Last time it was uh, you and Jay Bear talking about podcasting. And uh, prior to that, I think it was 2013. So, Well, when you come a-calling, I'm there. So I love being (laughs) on your show, man. Thank you. Awesome. Well, today, Joe and I are going to talk about how to build a small business with smart content marketing. Now, before we get started, Joe, um, can you mention the name of your podcast real quick to everybody? Because I know a lot of people listening um, my, you actually have more than one, if I'm not mistaken. We got, yeah, so I'm on two. This Old Marketing is our longest-running podcast. <clears throat> that covers the content marketing news of the week, and that's with Robert Rose. And I then love I've that got, show, by that's the way. Once, thank you. That's once a week. It's about an hour long. And then I've got my Content Inc. podcast that goes along with the book, and that's two podcasts a week, and they're about five to seven minutes long. So they're quick, inspirational, one tip per episode. And so that's growing and it's just been fun. And you, you, I mean, you got me hooked on the whole podcast thing and now I can't stop. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a great thing, isn't it? I mean, it is, there's no better way to, um, to dialogue and, and connect with, uh, people I think than podcasting, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Although we might get there somehow. Maybe we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, let's back up for a second, Joe. I want to share a little bit of your story with people because what you've done is pretty phenomenal. Um, when did you start this thing called the Content Marketing Institute and why? So I, I was at a publishing company called Penton Media. Uh, I worked there as VP of Custom Media and that uh, left in 2007. You know, always had an itch to start my own business. No, wait, wait, slow down, slow down for a second. Custom Media, what does that mean? <laughs> Custom Media was one of the names for content marketing before we helped to rename it. So custom publishing, custom media, custom content. That's the industry as we know it today. Everybody calls it content marketing, thankfully. So what did you Uh, do for those guys? So basically, uh, working in a large uh, business-to-business publishing company, actually Penton was the largest independent business publisher at that time. I actually think it still is. And running the custom media group meant that Any of the advertisers that would basically advertise in our traditional magazines or exhibit at our events, when they didn't want to do that and they wanted to do something unique and they wanted to tell their own stories and create their own platforms, basically the magazines would send them over to us and say, maybe you can get revenue out of them because we certainly can't. They didn't want to buy advertising. So we would work with you know the Microsofts, big B2B companies out there, and we would help them tell their stories. So if they wanted to tell a story to an executive audience, you know, Microsoft, we would help them create an ongoing newsletter or a magazine or blog series or webinar series. And did that, you know, did that for seven years. And that's how I got into the content marketing industry, if you will. 
and just said, wow, you know, I just saw that there was, I thought there was going to be so, so much potential because I could see the budgets moving. I was sitting with chief marketing officers and they were talking about, you know, how do I get found in search engines like Google and how do I use all this social media that's coming about? And they didn't know how to do it. And I'm like, well, you're going to have to have something to put through those pipes. Right. So that was the thought. So and I then said, you, okay. yeah, you pivoted and you started something called Junta 42, right? Was that kind of your first foray? That was, that was the first thing. Actually, it's funny because I left at the end of March in 2007, left Penton and it was totally crazy. Had two small kids, three and five, two boys at the time, uh, had no income coming in and said, hey, this is a great time to start a business right before the recession hit. Right. Uh, but started on April 26, 2007, started you know, writing, wrote my first blog post, which was you know, what is content marketing pretty much and wrote that post. And that was leading up to Junta 42 and Junta 42 for, you know, I still love it. I love the concept of it. I never knew what the heck the word Junta meant. Eh, It doesn't matter. That's a whole (laughs) other, that's a whole other podcast we could do, but it was basically the e-harmony for content marketing Uh. was the idea behind it. So we were, we were going to attract brands to our site who wanted to basically outsource some portion of the content process, creation or distribution. And then we would match them up with agencies who would pay for the service for the leads. Now, I want to add a little flavor to the story here because it's at around this juncture when Joe is doing this site that Joe and me cross paths. And Joe, you did this little contest kind of thing and kind of explain what that is because I think it's interesting for people to hear how you kind of became known by doing this thing. Are uh, you talking about the the top 100 yeah. content marketing blogs? Yeah, yes. Shoot. So basically, you know, it's 2008. I've got no money. I've got no, you know, distribution, paid distribution that I can get to build an audience and probably had maybe 2000 subscribers. And I'm like, well, this is not going to work. This is going to, what do I do to, to, so I said, okay, let me, let's try to build relationships with influencers out there. And then if we can really partner with those influencers, if we can help them, maybe they'll help us and we can, you know, get some of their audience and it'll be a win-win all the way around. And I said, okay, let's do this research project called the top 100 content marketing blogs. And we launched that. Of course, you you were on the, do you think you were in the top 10 the entire time uh, for your blog and started to put this together. And the first one- Was that, was a, that my white, white paper one or was that Social Media Examiner? Probably. That was, you were first on for white papers. Yep, okay. And then as soon as you lost as, as a, launched SME, yeah. you were on for that. I think you started at number nine or something like that. So gotcha. even though you were at a content marketing blog, you were talking about a lot of content marketing concepts. Right. So the, uh, you know, it's basically launched the press release about it. I hired a researcher to like look at the different, like, you know, how- how did these people talk about content marketing? How much did they mention it? What were their thoughts on it? What was their page? You know, we looked at PageRank and Google at the time, sent out a press release and said, well, maybe this will happen. Then then sent out an email to everybody that was on the list and said, hey, you made the list. And this is really before a lot of people were doing lists like this. So we were like, okay, well, let's do this. And it just took off. And I you mean, know every- what? And by the way, I got I got to interject here a little bit. Um, I'd been doing this for a couple of years earlier with my top ten blogs for writers, That's and right. I began to notice that um, people took this as a badge of honor and they would put it on their site. And and you know, a lot of people were doing that for you. And I was like, this is brilliant, you know. And then I think we ended up connecting because I think that you recruited me to be on a panel at Aaron Callow's um, conference That's right. right? in That's San right. Diego. So anyways, you know, I just wanted to, I wanted to dwell a little bit on, on a bit of this backstory 
um, so people kind of understand how Joe got started, because there's going to be some connections, I think, to what we're going to be talking about today. Now, connect the dots to going from Junta to the Content Marketing Institute. So basically, and it, it, it's sort of one of those failures that you learn from, but of course, those are the best kind or the only kind maybe that we like to use as entrepreneurs. So this is, so let's fast forward to 2009, to building the audience. The model is working. We're actually, we actually matched up about a thousand projects. And I'm like, this thing is going to work. This is fantastic. Unfortunately, agencies, and I can, I'll say this with a kind heart because I know a lot of agency uh, CEOs and presidents, they're the cheapest people on the planet. They don't like to pay for anything. And I'm like, they didn't want to pay for a subscription to the service, even though we were driving leads to them. And I knew that this is the day, this is the most horrible day that we had with Junta 42. I'm like, okay, there was our best case study. Absolutely best. We drove, we sent to them a million dollar plus customer. And so I called the agency president and I called her up and I said, you know, you haven't re-upped for the subscription. It was a, it was only $5,000 a year. I mean, considering that she got a million dollar project, I thought that was pretty good ROI. Talked to her. I said, Hey, you didn't sign up for the system. What's going on? And she says, Joe, I think we're going to, I think we can, we can do more with that $5,000 and spend it with you. And I'm like, seriously? I said, you can do better than getting a million dollar project. She's like, well, we've just decided to do other things. And I hang up the phone with her and I'm and I go outside and I'm like, I'm gonna have to go get a job with somebody else. Wow. I said, This is I said, this is not gonna work. I was devastated. Like it finally hit me. Like I thought this product was everything, it was gonna work. Couldn't get anybody to pay for it. I'm like, okay, what am I gonna do? And I just took took a couple weeks and just, you know, sort of had a come to Jesus moment. I'm like, what am I gonna do here? And decided to really look at my customers and what they were saying. And this is just, this is where I talk about it a lot in the new book, actually, where you fall in love with your product. And what you really need to do is fall in love with your audience and focus on their needs and pain points. And I wasn't doing that, Mike. I absolutely was just focused on, I love this product. It's going to be great. It's going to work. And what I realized the whole time as I was trying to focus on Junta 42, they were asking for training, education consulting, speaking. They were like, they weren't even ready for a matching service because they didn't even know how to create a content marketing strategy. So I'm like, okay, here we go. So I pivoted to the education and training concept. Uh, Within six months later, we launched Content Marketing Institute. That was May of 2010. And at that moment, we said, we're going to create the leading online destination for content marketing, the leading magazine uh, in the industry and the leading event. And, And within two years, we were able to do that. So, well, that is so cool because I remember seeing you in um, early 2010 again at that at that show, and I had told you about what I was doing with Social Media Examiner, <laughs> and it was just so great. I mean, you know, if you I think- totally so, well, and, and and you know this, I mean, I give you credit for. It. I totally stole your model. I mean, between what you were doing and Brian Clark at Copy Blogger, the, well, it's okay. I the, stole yours too. I do physical the, conferences the, now. Well, the com- <laughs> hey, we help each other, right? That's the right. Com- the combination of you know of getting the multi contributor blog concept really at that time and still does to this to this point, but really worked well as a model for us based on what you were doing and Brian were doing a number of other people yeah and that and that just it just helped us uh and right it took off right away after struggling for three years with junta 42 and that concept it was almost immediate where we're like oh my god we hit on something it just took us a while to get there three well, three plus i years. wanted to spend some time sharing this story and reminiscing a little bit and i think everyone will appreciate all these connections coming together here very rapidly but the, the summary here is that what joe has done is very similar to what i have done i mean we've essentially um, developed uh, kind of the industry-leading 
fill in the blank in the various industries. He's content marketing, we're social media marketing. And uh, it's just been really great to see Joe and I evolve along the same trajectory and uh, it just shows you that this can be done, frankly, by anyone. And this now, I think, kind of leads me to really your book. Um, so let's talk about this. Why did you write a book about how smaller businesses and content can can work? Or said another way, why is now a good time? Because some people listen to this are like, well, that was back then, right? That was 2009, 2010. Why is now a good time to get into this content-driven business model? Well, it's, so this this idea for Content Inc. with the book is either going to be incredibly stupid or brilliant. So it is, we'll see which way it goes. But the, So this is my fourth book. The other three books, all content marketing related, all focused on enterprise marketers larger in larger companies. And I'm like, so basically that story that I just told you and then how we grew CMI. And you, of course, you're in the book quite a few times talking about your model following the same process. I'm like, I really want to tell this story. I really think there's something here. But I honestly didn't know, was it, is it just Michael Stelzner? Is it just Brian Clark? Is it just Joe Polizzi? Or is it in other industries? Who is, are other people doing this? And I said, Let's, I'd like to do a book about this. And just started to do the research, probably started 12 months ago, trying to find these entrepreneurs that put this together. And this is what's amazing to me, Michael. As we went and reverse engineered all the models and looking at it, everyone, the timetables were different. But everyone followed like these six steps to going from how do we get started? We don't have a lot of resources. We're going to target a content niche all the way to monetization. And there's these real clear six steps that everyone follows. And I couldn't believe it. Where where you're seeing multi-million dollar platforms being started uh, first by this content-driven approach to a business. And this is what I start off in the book. I really believe and I believe this. Deep down in my heart that if you're going to start a business today, this is absolutely the best way to do it. And I think the majority of companies that start entrepreneurs that go out and start with a product like I did, like focusing on the product is absolutely the wrong way to do it. I think the best way to do it is build an audience. And then once you build an audience, you can monetize it. Once you build, as you know this, once you build a loyal audience, you can monetize it. And that's what we're seeing with these case studies, five, six, seven different ways and it's just a heck of a lot better than going out with one product, trying to get money or, or going into debt and trying to make things work when you don't even have the, the research or the detail or the knowledge about your audience enough to know whether or not it's going to work. I know somebody listening right now is going to say, well, you know, Joe, you, you kind of coined the phrase content marketing and built an industry where one didn't exist. But I will tell you, well, OK, then wait a second. Look at me, because I came into a space that had thousands of blogs talking about social media. And what I want to say to, to people that are listening is don't look at me because I'm great. Look at me because you can go into a crowded marketplace where there's lots of people um, that are actively you know, creating content around any subject that you can imagine, and you can be successful in this. And the reason I say that is because I knew nothing about social media when I started Social Media Examiner, you know? And I mean, I knew enough to be dangerous, but I, but I knew there was a lot more people that were smarter than me. And, and I can assure you that I cannot think of any industry today that is so oversaturated that you could not do this. And the reason is because most people don't think the way that Joe thinks. Most people don't think the way that the concepts in this book outline, which is most people are all about creating a product and then figuring out who to sell it to. And this is flipping the model on its head, isn't it, Joe? It is. I mean, I 
I'm trying to get, I'm honestly trying to get this concept in front of startup organizations, associations, VC companies to say, look, there's a better way to do it. It's almost like, I think, for example, let's say you have a stock portfolio and you're going to put it all into one stock. That's really, really risky. Like who would do that? Nobody does that. It's a heck of a lot easier to say, look, we're going to build a long-term audience and then we're going to monetize that multiple ways because we can because we have this loyal audience to build off of. And, and what you say is absolutely true. And that's what I wanted to sort of prove with the model was, you know, could we, is, is, does it work in baking? Does it work in consumer? Does it work in B2B? Um, you know, does it, does it work in manufacturing? And what we found out were all these case studies that are, that are coming about. And we talk about them in the book and in, in in-depth interviews about these entrepreneurs that were really just focused on becoming the leading informational provider in their niche and consistently delivering against that promise. And then on average, what we saw was about 15 to 17 months to monetization. This is not like if you want results tomorrow, this is not your model. But if you want to long, build a long-term asset and business that once you get it to a certain level can grow faster than any other business. Or you could sell this it. Is some, yeah. Or you could sell it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people that were, I mean, there's so many uh, like Matthew Patrick, me and Matthew Patrick is, I talk about him in the book, Game Theory. He's got over 4 million subscribers on his YouTube channel. You know, he is, YouTube has actually reached out to him directly because he consults for them because he's figured out a better way uh, to, to figure out the algorithm than they do. All right, let's, let's, and, let's dig in on that story a little yeah. bit. Tell, tell us a little bit more about what this, who this person is and what he did. Uh, I absolutely, this is a great story because the only reason I know about Matthew Patrick is because of my kids. So I'm, I'm, so I'm walking into the room where my son has his computer and they're watching a video and it's, they start talking about subscriber burn. And of course I turn my head and I like subscriber burn. That's my, it's an industry term that, that I deal uh, with. How like, old what? are your kids by the way? Just, yeah. Like uh, kids are 12 and 13. Okay. So this is, so back up a year. So, you know, whatever, 11 and 12, they were watching this and I'm like subscriber burn. And I said, kids, what do you, you know, what are you watching? They said, oh, we're watching game theory. I'm like game theory. What's that? It's like, so I sat down and actually watched the whole video with them. And this is, so basically it was a 10 minute video, um, you know, a lot of graphics and there's a voiceover of the guy, Matthew Patrick. And he's talking about basically goes in depth on video games and looks at quirky things on video games like The Legend of Zelda or Minecraft and goes into why certain things happen, either from an engineering standpoint or physics or, you know, how people make money. It's fascinating. Oh, so he's kind of like he's kind of like reverse engineering video games like or, 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 or I mean, or if you want to be an aspiring video game builder or you it's, he's like telling the backstories on these things. Yeah, almost like the backstory. Like, why does the and I don't know anything about the Legend of Zelda, but I know yeah. that one of his things are why the le- the sword and the Legend of Zelda does this, this and this. And then he goes into all the theories behind it. And so, I mean, Matthew Patrick is a genius. He's a. Is he a kid or is he an adult or what? He's uh, mid twenties. Oh, okay, right now. So he's, but he's basically he started game theory because he was in performance art. He wanted to be an actor. Could you know wanted to go into business because he wasn't getting paid anything acting. He's like, what do I do? He's like, well, maybe if I start a YouTube channel around the stuff that I'm passionate about and I know really well, maybe that'll help me get a job. So he basically took his, you know, we talk about finding the sweet spot. His sweet spot was he had a passion for video games, loved him more than anything. And he had more knowledge about analytics than probably anybody on the planet, like super smart analytics, put it together and he created game theory. Now, to your point about like, where do you find your, you know, in this, uh, all this content competition out there, how can we rise above the clutter? 
he just took a different look at it. He just didn't talk about video games. He really did the backstory of them and, and talked about the theories about why programmers do certain things and was able to build 500,000 subscribers in a year wow. doing that. What, now, what and, is he doing with that now that now that he had that audience? See, I, I think a lot of people build it. My guess is, I don't know, you've spoken to him. Did he have a plan all along or did he did it start as a hobby and then it took off? Which started as, started as a hobby. Gotcha. Started, did not, did not, and what, that's what we found is actually, uh, you know, the same thing for Anne Reardon we talk about in the book. She's the baking queen of Sydney, Australia. You know, she started that because she had some extra time on her hand and loved and was very passionate about food. But all, in all these cases, they sort of, we call it the content tilt. They find an area of differentiation. Like, for example, look at baking, right? How, how many baking blogs are there out there? Thousands oh. of baking blogs. Oh, yeah. How are you going to cut through the clutter? Ann Reardon, what's great about that example is she looks at just impossible food creations. So she's like, how can, we, how can I do a recipe and videotape and video this thing so that it is just people look at it and they're like, that's impossible. It can't be done. That and that's all she focuses on. So everybody else is doing there. Here's a recipe to do this. She's like saying, "Oh my gosh, this is incredibly difficult," and she's been able to get more than a million subscribers in the first three years. Okay, so so, so let me types. back up for a second. Yeah. So I know that people are listening right now and are saying, "Okay, these both both these examples are video," and I know you have other examples. We'll get to another one that's not video in a second. Sure. But what is what is the business that has come out of one or both of these examples? You know? So let's yeah. So I'll go back to Matthew Patrick because and by the way, I get excited talking about this. No, this is cool. I love the energy, man. Bring it. So so um, the Matthew Patrick is a, so he he monetizes that business in about five different ways. First of all, he just monetized it through advertising because he had the YouTube advertising. That's how he monetized it. Now he's got a whole agency. He's got a whole consulting group. I think he's got more than a dozen people that work for him. So he's got a multi-million dollar consulting division where he works with some of the leading talent on YouTube and helps them figure out a better way to get traffic. So, so he's he, helping YouTube people grow their channels, basically. That's exactly right. Okay. So he's so he does it through advertising. He does it through consulting. He, he now has merchandising, which is unbelievable. Now, that's intriguing because that has nothing to do with the video games, really, right? It has to do with the outcome of what he learned along the way creating this channel, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, now he's just looking at, okay, well, now I've got this loyal audience that, you know, he'll get every mid-video he puts out now. And I need to put it in perspective because he's, this is a really, I mean, not everybody's going to get a million views on their video once they launch it. That's but that's what point. he gets. He gets two to four million. I mean, you don't need that. Your audience might be 5,000. Right. right. Like when you like I know when you launched SME, you talk about this in the book, like you were waiting to get to 10,000 subscribers before you were going to monetize. Correct. So that was really important for you. So everybody kind of finds their minimum viable audience. And his was 500,000 uh, consumers on YouTube. And then he was able – so I think it's about four or five different ways that he's monetized it. And I think he's got between 15 or 20 people working for him now. And he's just growing it like crazy. And when anybody's looking for, hey, who's the expert in getting more traffic and eyeballs on YouTube, it's Matthew Patrick. But it has nothing to do with really – the platform that he's built, and he's monetizing that in its own way as well as the consulting business. Well, I would imagine he could probably come out with some books on on a, a popular video game, and they'd probably be bestsellers overnight, I would imagine. Well, this is the other key, and I know we're stepping ahead to monetization, but what we really saw, and you do this, I do this, um, you know, Rand Fishkin does this. If you look at the different uh, platforms that are set up, it's not just one revenue source. It's multiple revenue sources that come in. 
which is, you know, which is amazing. I mean, if you look at, here's John Lee Dumas, you know, we know John Lee, really, really good entrepreneur, entrepreneur on fire. fire. Yep. Same model. We talk about him in the book. I mean, he, what's really amazing is every month he does his podcast and he does his revenue report. And I listen to that revenue report and he's got about 12 different ways he makes money off of that platform. Now that's a podcast platform. Yeah, so and I, I will briefly tell plug. I'll briefly tell everybody. He um, obviously advertising on his podcast is a big uh, part of it because he does a daily show. But in addition, he has training that he offers on how to become a podcaster, and he's got um, all sorts of different programs that he does. Um, most of them are educational, so that's how he's doing it. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, question back to you, Joe. Sure. We've been talking about audio and video. Is there another example of a business that? isn't audio or video that um, is another example for people that might, you know, um, uh, you know, you, you got a million of them, but let's talk about one that doesn't require a lot of production because you know, audio and video is a lot more work than just writing. I mean, do you have any examples of absolutely? Well, yeah. absolutely. I mean, look at, and I'll do, I'll do um, actually I'll do all three of us at the same time because all three of us have the same model. If you look at Brian Clark and copy blogger media, which Brian writes the forward to the book and he's used as a case study. So are you social media examiner and us marketing Institute. It's, it's basically the blog is the platform. That's the right. blog is the key platform where you build the email subscribers and the audience. And that's, th this is the thing that kills me because I've done this at a presentation a couple of times, Michael. And I'm like, it seems so simple. And then I'm like, I wish I could make this more complicated, but it's not. But so when you find your sweet spot, we've talked about that, and you find that content tilt, that area of differentiation, the third step is building the base. And what is building the base? It's basically you consistently publish to one platform over time. And I'm like, really, that's it. Like, look at what SME did. They basically published a blog post every day. That's us, over by the a way. Long, oh, yeah. <laughs> over a long period of time. Look at Copy Blogger Media. Brian Clark published every day for 19 months. He built over 200,000 subscribers, and now he's over a $10 million company. And, he, and what does he sell? He doesn't even sell advertising. He sells software. Software as a service. Yeah, let's so, talk about Brian, for example, because I think he's such a great, interesting story. I'm intimately familiar with what he's done. But Brian Clark at Copy Blogger, he was a, a very super high level recovering attorney, decided to get yep. into wanting to understand copywriting, started Copy Blogger, uh, writing about how to do um, you know persuasive stuff. And then along the way, he started doing membership sites. Uh, teaching cells, I think, was one of his first big ones. And then yep. he started partnering with other providers of software. And then he acquired or partnered with those companies. And they all merged together as one. And now he has like web hosting, um, WordPress themes, um, and just, you know, the list goes on and on. And predominantly, his income now is software. So you that's talk right. about a tilt, he's tilted a million different directions, right? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't even know if that's the right phrase. Well, it, I think so. What's amazing about him building that base. What he's, I mean, he's basically tested different ways to monetize it. Sometimes you don't always get it right the first time. I mean, I know we didn't with our model, but we just kept looking at saying, hey, okay, how do we, you know, ultimately, how do we make money? The key is, is first you've got to find that sweet spot. Then you got to figure out, okay, what is that differentiation area? Then you build the base. That's, by the way, that's everybody drops off, Michael. You know this. You, most people don't have the patience to wait. And that's what I said. If your timetable is less than a year, it's going to be tough. It takes a while to, if you've got no resources. Now, if you want to get a, if you want a, a kickstart and you want to start to do some paid distribution and really get going, yeah, there are faster ways to do it. But generally, in all the case studies we looked at, it took over a year. 
to really, really get going. To real, I mean, even if I mean, you look at Social Media Examiner, but you were keeping that thing going with white paper stuff. That's right. You were building that audience all along with your reports, and I mean, it was. I mean, so you were building that audience long term. You pivoted into SME, and it took off. Same thing with me and Junta Forty Two. We were building that audience, pivoted from Junta Forty Two, the monetization model of Content Marketing Institute, and made it work. Okay, so, so it's just, just interesting. I know that we have been dropping. Um, little clues as to what these six steps are, but give us the 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 quick. What are the six steps at a very yeah. high level, and then maybe we can dig into one of them or something. So very yeah, so very high level. And this is by the way, the I did not go into this with a preconceived notion that oh, there's six steps and here's what they are. I actually we actually <laughs> this came did out the of the re- research, right? This came out of the research. This came out of talking to you and talking to a bunch of different companies about how they built their business. So basically, you start off with some kind of a sweet spot. It's usually, there's a couple different ways to look at a sweet spot, and we talk about those in the book. But in general, most of them are, hey, I've got a really, I've got a passion around something. And at the same time, so that's the passion area. And then I've got this innate knowledge about something else. And that mixture creates the sweet spot. So I'll give you a quick example. So Andy Schneider, so I talk about him throughout the book. He's the chicken whisperer. I love this example. The chicken so whisperer? <laughs> Andy Schneider is the chicken whisperer. He's the world's leading expert on backyard poultry. Do you know what backyard poultry is? Uh, I can I can intuit. Yeah. I can in, yeah. I think I can figure it out. Yeah. So basically you're in the suburbs and you wanna you you wanna raise chickens in your backyard. And, and, and by the way, there's a lot of people that do this. So what do you, you know, there was a whole content gap out there, but people were interested in doing this, but they didn't know what to do. So he goes, so basically so he's a yard chicken expert, yard chicken expert. So he loved <laughs> education. He was a teaching fanatic. He was passionate about teaching at the same time. He knew, he knew more about raising backyard poultry than anyone else in the world. And he basically started through meetups. He did local meetup in Atlanta. He started to do other meetups, and that parlayed into a podcast show for him. Cool. And he does a, does a show five days a week. That parlayed into a book. That parlayed into a magazine, and and on and on and on. But anyways, started off with that sweet spot of hey, he's got a passion for teaching and education, and he has an innate knowledge about this area of backyard poultry, and that's how he created his sweet spot. But then you go into the second step, which is the content tilt, my favorite one. And that's basically, how is your content going to stand? What's the different story you are telling? Is there a content niche that you can actually be the leading expert in the world? I talked to you about Ann Reardon. That's where if you look at, oh, yeah, her sweet spot was she was really, she, she was big into teaching and education, which was great. She had that passion area, and she was a food scientist. She was actually a qualified dietitian food scientist, so she knew all this stuff. How many, you know, there's a million baking blogs out there. So she focused her content tilt on impossible food creation. So have you seen the cake uh, of the Instagram logo? Have you seen that? No, but I've I've heard you. I've heard you talk about it. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, if if it's worth seeing, you slice into the cake. And then when you get the piece, you see the logo, right? Yeah. You don't even see it until you slice in. And it's a perfect replica of the Instagram logo. Or she does things like, hey, I've got 10 pounds of Snickers bars. How do I make a cake out of that? Gotcha. And it's just incredible. So that's, so that's content tilt. And then the hard part is then you, then you do that. Then you got to build the base. What type of content are you going to create? Is it textual like you and I did? Is it audio like John Lee Dumas? Is it video like Matthew Patrick? And then you consistently publish 
and you got to pick your poison, right? Or is it daily? Is it weekly? Consistently over time to a platform. What you know, yours on my platform that was the blog, that was WordPress. Uh, is it Matthew and Patrick's? And exp- expanded into audio eventually. Exactly, but that we're not there yet because right. you didn't do that right away. So I'll talk about that. So you've got the blog or YouTube or iTunes or your platform, and you do that over a significant period of time. Then while all this is going on, and you know this better than anyone, you're harvesting audience. That's step four. It's like you've got to focus on and where everybody focuses it on for the most part is some kind of subscription. Now, my favorite type of subscription and probably yours as well is email subscription. It's the one we have the most control over. But there's other subscription like Matthew Patrick has his uh, YouTube subscribers. Same with uh, same with Ann Reardon. John Lee Dumas has his iTunes subscribers. But really, but even in all those cases, all that uh, everyone's trying to get email subscribers is sort of the pinnacle. And by the way, we should we should pause here just for a microsecond and say the reason why this harvesting of the audience concept is different than the building of the base is um, it's it's a slightly different angle, right? Because the building the base is obviously the the big audience that um, comes and goes, but the harvesting of the audience is the people that you can communicate on a regular basis with, right? Opt in. It's back to Seth Godin, right? right? Opt in permission marketing. That's what we want, and what we found out in looking at all the different case studies is that monetization happens in one form of another for the most part through email. Yeah, and so, you know, as of, this, as, as of this recording, I was just telling Joe in pre-conference that we had just celebrated 400,000 daily email subscribers yesterday, which I said, if you told me five and a half years ago when I started this thing, I would have never believed it. <laughs> it's so, well, it's... It, and But you that, know, if, way, if you can... That's so powerful. That I know, so it, powerful and if you have. can, if you, if you um, whoever's listening right now, think into the future and say, okay, if I start something five years later, I could have... This kind of an audience that I'm feeding every day value to, um, what could I do with that? And that's where if you if you look into where that future is and you say, holy cow, that's amazingly powerful, then you know I think it starts to help you understand what you can do with this kind of stuff. It's absolutely true. What, what's so interesting, and, and you did this really well, Brian, and all the other case studies we talked about, but what what I see and I really get concerned about with some of these new startups, even in large companies where they say, hey, we're going to go do content marketing. What they do right away is they they totally diversify right off the bat. It's like, oh, we're going to talk about this. Let's do the medium channel and we're going to do YouTube and Facebook and iTunes and the podcast and we're going to do it all at once. And that Keep it simple, stupid, right? <laughs> hey, none of the case studies that we looked at did that. Yeah. Everyone built the platform first. And then, to your point, then we harvest that audience and then we diversify. So, for example, you built that platform on the blog first and then you said, okay, now we're going to do the event. Now we're going to do um, podcast. the podcast. Yeah. Now we're going to extend that into building out our you know, promotional capability, our audience more, but it still comes back to that platform. And so, like, look at something like ESPN, for example. And I love this example. ESPN took a long time to build. They were just a cable network. That was it. Now today, their magazine, their awards program, uh, their uh, uh, they've got podcasts, they've got a radio network, they've got everything, right? White man, every but you got to resist diversifying too quickly until you have an audience that can handle that kind of diversification. If you do it too quickly, and a team, lose your focus, and a team that can make you sustain it sustainable. That's right. So what is that fifth step? Did we already did we say that that's already? The, so that's diversification. So okay. so three is building the base. Um, four is harvesting that audience. 
Five is then you diversify like we did into, oh, okay, well, we got the blog. Then we're, now we're going to do the magazine. Now we're going to do the event. Now we're going to do the podcast. And those all came separate, uh, secondary. That's right. We should mention you do have a print magazine. I forgot to you mention You have a print that. magazine, yep. which I will go to my grave printing that print magazine because I love it so much. And there's such a huge opportunity. I know this is not about print. Such a huge opportunity in print right now. Um, but anyways, we could talk about that. No, that's awesome. Now, what about the last step? And then the, and then the six. So here's the thing. And you know this and everybody in the dozens and dozens of case studies we talk about in the book know this. You have to go through the pain of the first five steps. If you do, then you can monetize. And we found out, we talk about there's really like an average of about five to seven ways that each of these platforms monetize themselves. It's really powerful. They have these really loyal audiences that they've nurtured over time, and they're able to launch – like, you know, you – you started really with the virtual conferences in a lot of in a lot of ways, but you've monetized that through advertising and sponsorship and social media marketing world and a bunch of other ways. Same for us. Same for Brian Clark. Yeah, you, social media success summit. We have our membership site too. Exactly. You launched the membership site, so there's lots of different ways to do it. But you, but monetization comes secondary. And by the way, because we work with big brands, all big companies all the time, this is where they mess up. They always go and say, oh, we're going to launch this blog, podcast, YouTube network, and they try to monetize it right away. You can't do that. You have to create a loyal audience first. You can't ask them for money. You can't get them into your pipeline just right away. It doesn't happen. So those are the six steps, and I love them because, yes, I went through it. You went through it. Brian went through it. But every model that we looked at went through this same six steps, and I honestly believe that anyone can replicate this model, and I think it's the best way to go to market today. Well, if you guys can't tell, Joe's pretty excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> and little. so am I, not, not just because uh, he has essentially outlined how I've built my business but and how so many of my friends have built their businesses, but I'm excited about your book, Joe, because I do believe that someone who's listening right now who is kind of where you were inside of a corporation helping them do things successful, but has a lot of knowledge inside his head and is just looking for that next way to do something, could pick up your book and could begin, even as a hobby, just like you said that guy did, you know, that was the the video game dude, yep. creating content that draws an audience to them and really enables them to build a business. And, you know, this is just so not the way traditionally anything has ever been done historically in, in the history of business. But this is the way that it is done and will continue to be done if you're not some, you know, San Jose venture backed company, you know what I mean? Um, that has all this massive funding and can go out and do things, quote unquote, in different ways. This is the, the way to bootstrap it. And this is the way to, 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 to become completely independent and never have to rely on anybody else, which I think is the beauty of this whole model. Don't you well, agree? The, well, to, to your point is I, we're, we still, and I get it, right? We're still sort of living in this is the way that successful uh, companies have been launched. Uh, and, and oh, yeah, we want to do it the way Facebook did it or Instagram and do it like another unicorn does it. Well, you know, you're going to get 99% of the time you're going to fail off of that model. Right. It's Let's hedge your bets. It's a I think there's a much better way to do it, and this is the model. And I think that this will be the model for the future because we can communicate directly with our customers right now. There are no barriers to entry for publishing in any one of these formats. It doesn't take a large investment to do it. It does take focus, patience, and time. So, yeah, like, and, and you know, work. 
and work. Like you said, I've got your quote, like right at the beginning of the book. I think it's in chapter one that says, look, this is a lot of work. Don't get me wrong, but the benefits of it are tremendous. So if you can get through the works standpoint to get through and, and realize those benefits, there's not a, there's not a better way to do it. And I just want to get to your, I want to get those people that feel that sort of defeated that they can't do this. Like, this is absolutely possible. And I don't care what your niche is. It could be the most obscure niche in the world. There is an audience out there that you can monetize and you can do it directly and you can create the most powerful media company on the planet in that niche. The book is called Content Inc. I-N-C. Um, Joe, tell people where they can find your book and where they can find out more about you. Sure. So uh, all the book information is content-inc.com. Uh, all the information about me, my speaking, and everything else is at joepolizzi.com. And then, of course, contentmarketinginstitute.com and the show, big show in September, uh, Content Marketing World, contentmarketingworld.com, September 8th through 11th. And I'll be there and I'll be on the, sto- the stage with you and I believe And we're going to be Clark, talking right? about this. Yeah, yeah we're going to be talking about this type of thing right on stage. And I'm excited about that. Very be fun. cool. Joe Polizzi author of the what will likely be your next bestseller, Content Inc. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Michael, thanks for everything. Thanks for being a case study for the book. That's great. Well, I hope you found value in today's show. I know that I really enjoyed doing it. Okay, there's just a couple things I want to mention to you. First of all, are you wondering what content marketing matters the most to social media marketers? Well, we study that in the free 53-page Social Media Marketing Industry Report. Also, if there was anything that we mentioned on today's show and you just didn't catch it, don't worry. We take all the notes for you. You can visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 159. That stands for episode 159. Never miss a future episode of this podcast. Hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast player you're listening to. And this brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.